1 Corinthians 14. You know, my hope is that every week is so good, nobody wants to miss it. Amen? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, he's talking about when the church gets together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there be if there's no in, no one to interpret, let each one keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh out what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep quiet in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that these things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not build for, and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that your word would be our guide, that we would be clear about your truth tonight, and that, Father, we would be a church built upon your word in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, part of our vision for Wednesday night is that it be a, a real great night of fellowship and uh, that you can come here, you know, maybe after work or before the service starts and, and hang out. Uh, we serve a meal a every week. I think it, it costs 5 or $6 to get the meal. You can look online or watch in the bulletin and see what it is. If you don't like what we're serving that week, you can pick up a sandwich or something on your way here and come on in and sit down. We're not going to tell you that, that we didn't sell that, so you can't eat it here. You can come. We just... I, we just want to encourage you to come and have fellowship, get to know people, and enjoy it. It's always exciting when we have a night and a whole bunch of people are out there fellowshipping. Isn't, aren't those exciting nights? And we want to encourage you to come and, and be a part of that. As we've been talking over the last several months, Paul has been talking to a church that is out of order and calling the church to order. The role of pastors has not been clearly defined yet at this point in time in the history of, of, uh, uh, of the Corinthian church. The role of elders in the church has not been clearly defined yet. Uh, they're starting to develop those things in the church and starting to get them in place. Uh, but the church at this point in time has been out of order, and they've carried some of the things from their pagan worship into the church, They've carried some ideas in, as all of us do. We have to be very careful not to carry cultural ideas into our doctrine. 
And, and that happens in America today. It, it happens in churches all around the world today where cultural ideas can invade how we think about God and how we think the church should work. And that was definitely happening here. So at this point in time, Paul is calling that when they get together that all of them should be involved in some way. They should be bringing something to the fellowship. He's wrapping up his call to tongues and prophecy. He's tried to make it very clear the role that they play in the church. And as we've talked, I want to stress again, uh, this prophetic word should be something. It doesn't just happen in a church service, but happens throughout our life as God leads us. It doesn't have to be wild. In fact, tonight, uh, you know, Don, who's always here, Terry had a word for him tonight, and we talked before, and we decided she was going to share that word. We were going to let, let you witness her sharing that word with, with him. So if, we can, if, if it's not a word that's time-sensitive, we can wait till next week, and we'll, we'll just make Don wait on this word for a week. That's his punishment for not being here tonight. That's being silly. But, yeah, what we want you to see, because it, it's not a freaky thing. It's not a weird thing. It's, it's a natural revelation. God speaking to you and you taking those words and sharing them with somebody else. That's a very natural thing that should be happening in, inside the church, and that's what Paul's been talking about. So he tells him you should bring a hymn or or, or, or to, to everyone should bring a hymn. What is that? That would have probably most likely been a song uh, out of the Psalms. Uh, one of the Psalms that we're getting ready to talk about for the next five weeks. And I believe if you come and get this series on the Psalms, you're going to understand the Psalms better. You're going to have a better picture of them and be able to use them the way they were meant to be used in your life uh, to build faith and to build strength in your life. Maybe even a, a hymn would have been something maybe somebody in the group had created that God had brought to them and they would teach it to the others. Someone should, would bring a lesson, usually from Scripture in the Old Testament, a lesson that tied into who Christ was and is in our life today. Because remember, the Old Testament lays the groundwork for Jesus. When, when Paul and Peter and these guys would talk, especially in Jewish synagogues, they would go in with this concept of taking old, what we call the Old Testament, they didn't call it the Old Testament then, but what we call the Old Testament, and using that Scripture to present who Christ was and how Jesus fulfilled who Christ was. A revelation of truth that someone had had, so they could bring a revelation. Uh, they could bring a tongue. Now notice, there's nothing here about spontaneity. There's nothing here about, uh, oh, you get in a service and you get to singing a bunch of songs and the Spirit moves and, and, and boy, all of a sudden you just jump up with a tongue. Nothing here. No, you bring it. You come with it. You've got it. You've been praying. You've been seeking God. Uh, you've got a word to the point that you walk in and you're looking around and you're going, is there anybody here with the gift of interpretation tonight? No. Well, I'm just going to be quiet. It's not going to say anything because there's no one here uh, to interpret it. And then it says two or three prophets. People, in this sense, this, this prophets here is not the sense of somebody with a prophetic word, 
but this is somebody with a prophesying, teaching scripture that would present a lesson. Uh, This would be a teacher or a preacher. And then it says the church weighs it out. Doesn't just accept it blindly. Uh, they don't have the they don't have the New Testament scripture yet to really weigh everything. So they've got to spiritually talk about this and weigh it out in all things. We're called to weigh it out. We're called to think about it. I, I remember years ago, one of my uncles uh, was a pastor of a church, and they had a speaker in, and he had been there with them several times before, and and uh, they knew him really well, and. My uncle knew him really well, and at the end of the message, he gets up, he puts his, calls him up, puts his arm around him, goes, don't we, and he said, well, don't we love our brother? Like, yeah, yeah, we, didn't he do it? Did, didn't we love what he had to say tonight? Yeah. Point one, that was really good, wasn't it? But yeah, yeah, point one. Point two, he talked about this. That was really good, right? Yeah, yeah. Point three, he talked about it. Now, we're just going to forget that. We're not going to pay attention to that. That's not scriptural. What was he saying? I've weighed this out. I've listened to what he had to say, and he got a little off track here. Doesn't mean they don't love their brother. Doesn't mean he's trying to insult the brother. He was being very clear with the brother. That's not scripturally sound. And so we don't just accept everything at face value. We take everything and come back now, and we look at Scripture, and we say, is this true? Is this what Scripture is saying to us? Because Scripture is our foundation for faith and conduct. Everything has to flow through Scripture, has to be supported by Scripture. Not not tradition, not what feels good, not feeling, not emotion. Everything gets weighed out by Scripture. I thank God for tradition. I thank God for the emotion. But sometimes they've got to get cut aside And you've got to come down to watch Scripture. Now, the person who generally says you can't weigh it out is the person who's speaking who's trying to manipulate something. If we're not trying to manipulate anything, if all we want, if at the core of what we want is we want God's will, and if at the core of what we want we understand that none of us are infallible, I'm not infallible. I pray all the time, God, anything I say on Sunday morning, anything I say on Wednesday night, that's not of you. Let people forget it. Let it be forgotten. But what's of you, let it be embedded. Let it be planted. Let it grow inside of us. Because none of us are infallible. And we can sit down and talk about what's scripturally sound and what isn't scripturally sound, and, and we can move on. I was, I was talking with a man a few years ago. And we had a point of doctrine that we really disagreed on. And we'd met two or three times. And, uh, and finally, in, in one of the meetings with him, I said, okay, listen, I hear you quoting a lot of books by a lot of people. So w- why don't we do this for a couple of months? You stop reading any book that supports your point of view. I won't read any book that supports my point of view. Let's just both read the Scripture and come back and talk about what the Bible says. 
And he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't meet with me on that basis. Now, to me, everything else has got to get cut aside. What does Scripture? Let's talk about it not on the basis of what some preacher or some writer or somebody else. Those may all be good things that bring light to it for us, but ultimately it's got to be founded in Scripture. What does the Scripture say? So we want to we understand that. If in the course of things someone gets a revelation, it, it tells us that we're going to speak one at a time. This is addressing an issue that's going on in that church. They were vying for power. They were vying for places of, of spiritual authority, and they would, one would have a word and somebody else would jump up because he had a better word. And he said, no, stop all that nonsense. And, and people were saying, as they will today, oh, I can't help myself. The Spirit made me do it. Some of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson and the devil made me do it. And, and God says to us right here, this Holy Spirit says to us right here, I don't work that way. He says the spirits are subject to the prophet. He moves on us, but he won't force us. He won't make us. It's under the control of the prophet of God. Anytime you hear somebody saying, I can't control that, that's not the spirit of God. That's what demons do. I can, God gives me control in these things. He gives order in these things. And I can resist him. I don't want to resist him, but we can. We can, be, we can come in and see there's not an interpreter here, and we can be quiet. We can see that somebody else is speaking, and we can wait our turn. We can, we can put these things. God is not going to grab me, throw me down, and make me do something. No, when that happens, Jesus comes along and casts demons out. Are you with me tonight? They're subject. God's not a God of confusion. So he's kind of bringing all this stuff to order in the church. And now we get to some really, really tough scriptures, controversial scriptures. Uh, we want to begin reading at verse, verse 33b. As in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for the woman to speak in church. Now, you've got to put all that together to understand this. It, it seems to be quite clear, but it, it, you've, got to, you've got to read carefully here. This is a big controversy in the church world today. Some would say, look, you've got to look at that. Women should never be teachers. They should never be preachers. They should never be in leadership. They should never be in any of these roles because Paul says it. Right there. Others say, no, Paul's talking about a specific set of circumstances in that church, and things are going on in that church, and he's talking directly to that church to bring order to it, and he's talking specifically about women interrupting in the service and asking for instruction on what's being said or clarity on what's being said. And most likely in the Corinth church, it would be what I've ex still experienced to this day at times when you travel to other countries. You'll travel to other countries and other, and other cultures, and still to this day, when they come in, in some cultures, when they come in, the women will sit on one side of the room and the men on the other side of the room. They don't sit together as families. 
And what was happening here is they were asking these questions across the room, talking to their husband or correcting him or giving him direction, and it just it wasn't a good thing. So the question is, are we just explaining things away and ignoring scriptural truth? We've talked about key scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a key passage about spiritual gifts. Uh, other, there's many other places you can refer to in the Bible about spiritual but here's a, a key passage. A key scripture is a scripture like John 3.16 that gives us a, a, a clear understanding of what the Bible supports in totality. You can't look at anything in John 3.16 and argue against it. It's, it's, it's a key passage. Key scriptures bring a simple statement to a biblical concept. Let me say that again. Key passages bring a simple statement to a biblical concept. And almost every time you begin to think about a biblical concept, you will think, if you've been taught, probably one of these key scriptures pops to your mind because it it lays a foundation. So here's the question. Is this one? Is this a key scripture that gives us a biblical concept? Well, a key scripture does not run contrary to the rest of scripture. A key scripture uh, will be in unity with the rest of scripture. The, the rest of scripture will support it. You can use other passages to flesh it out to get a deeper understanding of it, to get a key understanding of that Scripture. And you get a, a better insight into the totality of that key Scripture from other Scriptures. They don't run contrary to each other. So let's look at some other Scriptures. Let's look at some other Scriptures. In Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of the church, in verse 12 it says, They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. Uh, which is near Jerusalem. If we ever go to Israel with us, we go to the Mount, Mount, of Mount Olivet, you see, and we actually walk down the path that Jesus walked down into the city. It's a wonderful experience. A Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and James, or Peter and John and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of, of James. All these were w- with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So who's there? We see that the, the, the key disciples and apostles are there. Uh, these women who have been following Jesus uh, throughout, these, throughout these years that he was in ministry and had supported him, they're there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And, and his brothers, are, who had not been following him, are now there. They're there. So that's who all's there, the, the apostles and the women. So now what happens? What happens? In Acts chapter 2, now this didn't happen that day, but in the course of time, as they're waiting, in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place. What's it alluding back to? It's alluding back to this scripture telling who all's there. It's about 120-some people up there at this, at this point in time. They're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, who was filled with the Holy Spirit? All were filled. Was it only men that were filled? No, it doesn't say all the men were filled. It says all of them were filled. It didn't say only men. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, just a few verses later in verse 16, Peter, this is spilled out into the community. They're proclaiming the message of God. It's many of them speaking in tongues and this confusion of how are these people these people speaking in our language, what's going on here? And it seems, you know, it seems mind-blowing to the people that are there. They're trying to make an excuse for it. But how do you excuse people who don't know your language suddenly speaking in your language and proclaiming the greatness of God? So now, at the right moment, God leads Peter, who now steps up very boldly and proclaims the message to this this at the end of this at the end of this about 3000 people are going to get saved this is an outpouring of the spirit where a lot of people come to Christ in verse 16 he says to them but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel and in the last days it shall be god declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, who does that include? Everybody, all flesh. Everybody's included, men, women, everybody. And it goes on. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Not just the sons. The sons and the daughters are going to prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, a great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter takes this passage that's been a prophetic passage in the Old Testament, and he says, Joel said your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. He says that, that your sons and daughters, he's going to pour out his spirit on both of them. This is the day. It's happening right now. It's happening right here. This is the day. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Even on your male and female servants will, will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, you've got to understand, uh, the Jewish people, 
uh, were the chosen people of God to, to be the passageway through which the Messiah would come and to be the passageway for the Old Testament and God's plan for man to be revealed to mankind. Now, they, they, got, they got it wrong. They got a lot of things wrong. They didn't recognize Jesus when he showed up. They, they, in their best, they got a lot of things wrong. One of the things that they got wrong was this. They thought they were the elite and the only ones that were going to be pleasing unto God. They, they thought everybody else was of lesser creation, lesser identity with God, lesser everything. The Gentiles in their minds were dogs. Paul gets in trouble because they, when he gets in trouble in Jerusalem because they accused him of bringing Gentiles into the temple. This was blasphemy. So the Gentiles, even as, as, the, as the church started, they struggled over this concept that non-Jews were getting saved and filled with the Spirit. The church had to make a, a real 180 in that guy, even though Jesus had clearly told them that's what was going to happen. Even though from the very beginning, when, they, when, they t- when, when God called Abraham, he said, you are going to be a blessing only to your sons and daughters? No, to all nations, to all people. And, and for some reason, they just they missed that. And which, which uh, you know, we can't pick on them too much. We have a tendency to do the same kind of things. We kind of, you know, make ourselves special and, you know. Today, you know, there's, there's people that say only a certain elite kind of people will get saved and not everybody gets saved, even though the Scripture says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone that calls on His name. Thank God for that. Amen? And so they were extremely pressed. They were also, they also carried this prejudice against women. Women should love the Bible. Are you with me? Do you understand this? We live in a day where women have growing authority and growing power. You know where that came from? That came from the Bible. You go places where the Bible isn't established, women to this day don't have that. Go try out a Muslim country for a while. They're not looking for women's freedom and women's rights. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're making them do certain things. It's the Bible that gives this concept of, of male and female equality and, and, and of, of God's blessing and of God's gifting being upon women. Every, women's, every, every person who loves women and wants women to be free should love the Bible because it all comes flowing out of how, the, how God teaches men to see women in the Bible. All, all good things come that way. But in this day and age, they were still under the, this Jewish stuff, and they were still under the tradition of their day, and, you know, women were kind of a lesser being. And, you know, uh, even in that day, uh, a woman, and you still have this in some parts of the world, a woman could not testify against a man in court her word would be considered less than his word. Her word wouldn't be considered as, as authoritative. It'd take two or three women to come against a man in a situation like that. So now we see Paul writing in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Now before faith came, 
We were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Who? All of us. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. He's looking at him saying, listen, this whole thing about us being better than everybody else, forget it. There's, there's, there's not that separation. We're not, that's not the way it is. Neither Jew nor Greek. We're all in faith, sons of God. We're all in faith, sons of God. He goes on. There's neither slave nor free. Neither slave nor free. You know, God is going to do away with slavery through love. That's how he's going to. He's going to do away with it right here. He's not, Jesus doesn't get up and get up and condemn all a slave. He's going to do away with it by teaching us to love each other. Because if you love each other, guess what you can't do? can't own somebody. can't put them under your thumb and under your hand like that. God, God fixes a lot of things by teaching us to love each other. And he says, listen, this, this separation, we have, there's, neither, there's neither slave nor free anymore. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are sons of God. You are sons of God. Neither male nor female. A couple weeks ago, we read in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in Men? No, and everyone. And everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In the last few weeks, have we read anything over the last few weeks or months that excluded women? No. So what's the deal here? What's the deal with this passage? Listen to me. I hope you get this. When one passage runs with Scripture, it may be a key passage. When you come to a passage that runs against the rest of Scripture, it's dealing with a specific issue. It's not fitting in with all the rest of Scripture. When Jesus tells his disciples after washing their feet, Go and do likewise. He's not telling us to go out and wash, set up foot washing stations everywhere. He's teaching us to serve people. When Ananias and Sapphira die for telling a lie, the Bible's not saying that everybody who comes in the church and lies is going to drop dead. A lot of us would be in big trouble. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus... And he says, what must I do? Jesus tells him to keep all the the commandments. And he's basically dealing with how he treats men. He says, I've done all of those. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, then go and sell everything and come follow me. Was Jesus establishing a way to salvation there? No. He was dealing with that specific man's 
heart. And he's, what is, what it's left in Scripture is for us to know that in every one of us there's going to probably be something like riches that for us to be fully Christ, we're going to have to give up. For some people that may be music. For some people that might be a hobby. For some people that might be the way they lift their family above everybody else's family and they think their family's the best. But there may be a hatred for a group of people or for a, a prejudice that God's going to look at us and say, nope, you've got to give that up and come follow me. You can't keep that and be in my kingdom. My dad, old World War II guy, shot up by the Japanese. There came a day in his life he would testify about that God spoke to him and said, that hatred you have for the Japanese, unless you let me deal with that, I can't use you the way I want to use you. You've got to let me deal with that. In our lives, there comes this moment. It's not... That's not establishing a a rule for everybody else. It's dealing with that person's issue. And we have to understand that. Now, let me give you one last thing that deals with this. When Jesus died and was in the tomb, and the resurrection happens, who's the first people Jesus appeared to? How many of you know who it was? Was it guys? No. He showed up to women. This is one of the arguments that theologians use to say, see, Jesus is really risen from the grave, and, and the church is really telling the truth, because if the church was really going to appeal to their, to, their, to their audience, they wouldn't have said he first appeared to women. They would have said he first appeared to men, because that would have been more culturally connecting with guys. But they didn't say that. He said, no, first people he showed to was, and what did he tell them to do? Go tell the disciples. Go tell them. So all of this points back to a totality of Scriptures and how God sees men and women in Scripture. Now, we could use the argument that we, that we have witnessed women with the gift of teaching, and we certainly have. We've witnessed women who had the gift of leadership, and we certainly have. We've witnessed women doing all of these things. Therefore, this Scripture must be wrong. Now, uh, be careful. Don't answer me yet. Is that a good argument? Can I tell you the answer is no, it's not. Scripture always trumps experience. Scripture always trumps experience. Scripture is first and foremost. So if all we had here today was experience, we'd have to look and say, we've got to back away from that. But we have a lot more than that. We have the totality of Scripture that's speaking to us. So totality, the totality of the scriptural message always trumps a standalone passage. Just like Scripture trumps an experience, the rest of Scripture trump any standalone passage. You look at the standalone passage and there's something else going on there. 
the rest of Scripture tells us we don't have to go sell everything we have and give it to the poor to make it to heaven. The rest of Scripture tells us that's not true. It was only true for that guy because of where his love was at. He had to die to that or he was never going to be totally Jesus. And he wouldn't die to it. And just like in this passage, context is important. What's going on is important. And so what's going on in this passage is an out-of-order church, people speaking up, people arguing, people promoting themselves, all kinds of turmoils going on in this church, and Paul is coming in and going, stop it. Stop it. Stop this. Let me tell you, uh, for us, in, in our, uh, when we moved a few years ago from, uh, from the eldership program, we, we, the way our, our original constitution was, the pastoral staff were the elders in the church. And, and that got to be problematic in numerous ways. Uh, some, of our, some of our staff were very young and inexperienced and didn't have uh, the life experience that was really needed to make you know, deeper, sounder judgments. Many, many times staff members are, are here for a short time and then they leave. And so uh, you know, the flow of eldership isn't healthy and isn't good. Uh, anytime an eldership group would make a decision, uh, if somebody didn't like it, their argument to me would be, well, they all work for you, so they're going to do what you tell them to do. And so it was really, you know, my decision at the end of the day. None of that was healthy for me. It wasn't healthy for the church. Uh, and and we, we, we just, as we looked at it, we said, this isn't scriptural. There should be people in our church that we should recognize who have the spiritual oversight and direction and wisdom to give order and to flow inside of uh, the roles of elders in the church, and there should be a plurality of leadership instead of just a single leader, and, uh, and, and these should be people so that the, it's not one guy building his own kingdom, but there's people there to, to bring direction to it. And so we began a process through our board at that time to uh, discuss what eldership was going to look like inside of our fellowship. And what their role was going to be, and, and we, we, as we, we, we worked probably two, two and a half years on this process, meeting and talking and reading and praying. And as we came down to it, one of the big discussions that came at one point was, uh, should women be on the eldership board? And, you know, there was quite a bit of discussion. I think that there may have been one or two guys that weren't for it, and there were other guys who were fine with it. A lot of guys who were fine with it, and uh, a lot of discussion went around that, and we researched a lot of things, and uh, we finally decided as a group to ask some women, and we brought in, we, we sat in that room and said, who are women in our church that we really respect and honor, and we named, I think, three or four women at that time, and, and we asked them to come in and talk to us. And it was very, let me, tell you, let me tell you what unfolded for us. We sat in that meeting, and I think, if I remember right, I, I don't, didn't take any notes on this, but I, I think most of the women, if not all of them, 
uh, in that room said it would be good to have women on the eldership board. And uh, they, they talked about the way they saw things and the way they felt about things. And, and we were certainly not opposed to that. We were open to that. We were not. And, and really, their, their opinion had probably would have swayed us to put women on the eldership board. Over the next two or three weeks, every one of these women came back to me and said, uh, when I talked in there, I was saying I was for it. I've been praying about it. I don't think you should do that right now. Every, it's not, they didn't come together. They came separately. That made my respect for them go up even higher. And, and, and you know, their arguments really, really they had several things there, but one, one of the arguments that really struck with me was, listen, if, uh, if this is a wrong decision, we can correct it easily. If you do it and it's the wrong decision, it's going to be really hard to correct it. So for right now, you know, I don't know what the other gals are thinking, but I'd say let's not do that. And that's what we went back and decided to do, not because of our people. Our opinion was leaning towards let's do this. But some godly women came back to us and said, after we prayed, we don't think you should right now. That's why our eldership board set up the way it is right at this moment. Could that change? That could absolutely change. I don't know if it will. I don't know when it will if it will. But that's why it is, that's why it's all guys on the eldership board right now. Uh, because those women really impacted, really impacted that. So, and they said, hey, and if you need advice, we can come and give it to you anytime. And we, we need it from time to time. So, uh, I share all that just to, to, to look at this scripture to help you understand this scripture and this passage. If you ever get cornered by somebody, and, and I know I do occasionally, I'll have some, some guy say, you let women preach in your church. I say, yep, we sure do. We think there are gifted women who have something to say to us. Well, that's not scriptural. Uh, I, I disagree. And they'll almost always quote this, this passage. And they're trying, what are they trying to do? They're trying to use it as a key passage. And I'll just look at them and say, the problem with that is it's not supported by the rest of Scripture. Scripture always balances Scripture. I'll say this before we go. This is the danger. I read a lot of books. I encourage you to read books. But listen, when you pick up a book, let's say on faith, the emphasis is going to be on faith. It's what the emphasis is going to be. And you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful with that, that it's not, taking it so, it's not taking that out of the rest of Scripture and standing it alone and you not balancing it with the rest of Scripture. This is what happens in many, many cases when there's strong doctrinal division People have taken certain passages and, go, and they've gone and hung everything on it. And then another group has taken another set of passages and hung everything on that. That's why we have so many of the do- doctrinal divisions that we have today, like you know, once saved, always saved, predestination, all these arguments, you know, that you know, on, there's only the elite are saved. You have all these people have taken passages 
and hung everything on it. Instead of looking at the totality of, of Scripture and saying, what is God saying to us in balance with everything? And so in all of that, that's what we wanted to do tonight. Now let's wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So, my brothers, listen, earnestly desire to prophesy. This is, to, this is God's word to you and me. Earnestly desire to be used to speak to others in encouraging and strengthening ways with words from God. It goes on. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. Don't throw this thing out. He's, he's being very clear with them. Don't get rid of this. Don't say it's over. Don't say it's not for anymore that we, you know, we broke the rules so we're done with it. No, he's saying don't do that. Hold on to it. Don't forget speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. That's God's word to us. Don't be a people with no fire. And don't be a people with wildfire. Be a people who are decent and in order with the fire of the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and come down around the front together. Oh, Lord, just worship the Lord as you come. Lord, we worship you and magnify your name. Father, we want to earnestly desire the right things. And, and so, Father, I, I pray that if we don't desire to do this, that you'd convict us, that we'd begin to desire to do this. And that, Father, even right now in this moment, that you would drop that encouraging, strengthening word for somebody into many of our hearts right now. Father, maybe it's somebody a long way away. Maybe it's a neighbor who lives next door. Maybe it's a friend that goes to church with us in our small group. Father, show us how we're supposed to share it, what we're supposed to do. Let that word come into us. Father, I pray for those who have this uh, the prayer language that you bless us with that edifies us and strengthens us, that we would not neglect it, but that, Father, we would, uh, we would use it in our prayer life. I would use it, Father, when we need strength and encouragement, that, Father, we'd be grateful for this great gift of your Spirit to pray through us. And, Lord, if there are those among us who are supposed to have this gift of, uh, of a prophetic word in that and interpretation, let, it, let that come to the forefront and let us see it and know it and, and do it properly. Uh, in Jesus' name, uh, we pray tonight. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now listen, you know, Terry came to me tonight, as I told you earlier, and just said, hey, uh, I think I have a word for that. That's, that's all that has to happen. I think I got this word. And, and then we can sit around and talk to, well, what is it? What is it for? And, you know, tonight it was for Don, who, you know, for whatever reason didn't show up tonight. Which shame on Don, though. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. You know, keep him in suspense. Uh, uh, but, you know, so, you know, normally we'd have probably just said, well, go share that with Don. But because we're in this kind of a setting, uh, we'd like for you to see that happen. Uh, but I always want to tell you, if, you, if God gives you a, a prophetic word, just a, a word of encouragement, strengthening for somebody, just go and, and share with them. It's up to them to do with it what they want to do with it. It's up to them to accept it or not, not accept it. It's up to them to say, yeah, I receive that or I don't. And, and you just share what God tells you to share. And, and, and you know, don't, don't get down and try to correct their life. Let the Spirit do that in their life. I'm a much bigger believer that God will say to us uh, something like, uh, brother, that thing you're praying about, you really, you, you really do know the answer. You just need to see it. Much more than he'll say, you need to do this or you need to do that. Occasionally he does that, but that's a little different. I probably usually know that person pretty well. Lord, I thank you for this congregation today. Uh, I pray that, Father, more and more we would come, you know, on a night like tonight with a word, a thought that you'd have us to share as you would give us opportunity. And that, Father, that word would go out as words have tonight. Father, we've heard several times here tonight, trust your promises. Even Jesus' brothers came to salvation. 25 years of praying. You're saying something to somebody here tonight. We thank you for that. Let that hope be birthed in our spirits tonight. And let us be used of you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in the Lord tonight.